take you now to the Bible verse of the day as we continue on in our sermon series. Last week we began the series looking at faith and mental illness. Today our topic is how we can have faith through anxiety. So our Bible verse of the day is from 1 Peter verse, or chapter 5, verse 7 and 10. If you could join me so that we can say it together, it's found printed in your bulletin. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've been thinking a lot this week about this little verse in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's an interesting life because I have to get the bulletin and everything prepared by Tuesday. And I begin to open a word doc and I call it chicken soup when I start to throw stuff in. And the sermon kind of lives with me for the week in all my goings on. And definitely this, ser this series, which is more serious and how to find that bridge of hope where faith meets anxiety is the question of the day. And I guess I kind of feel like I've been standing on the bridge figuratively. I've been hanging out with Jesus, and the time has come for me to actually attempt to answer this question that I have posed for all of us today. And I thank God that he is always near so how do we keep our faith grounded in the footprints and the footsteps of Jesus while anxiety continues to creep in <clears throat> and threaten to kind of throw us off course? <clears throat> so I want to go back to Peter, who said the words to begin with. I really like him. Talk about a man who left everything for Jesus, yet... He's the same guy who just repeatedly gets anxious around Jesus. Sometimes because Jesus is stretching his faith. I mean, walking on water, and he was doing it until anxiety whispered, look down, and he began to sink his eyes off Jesus. You know, even before the garden denial, he was anxious cutting off the guard's ear, so worried about Jesus' arrest. And then after the denial in the garden, anxiety went through the roof, wondering who had stolen Jesus' body when they arrived to an empty tomb. And then Peter in the upper room with his disciples, and Jesus appears and says, Peace be with you. His fellow colleagues in the ministry who, like him, had been living in a state of fear and anxiety, hiding in that same room for days, wondering if the Roman soldiers would come for them and crucify them. Peter's anxiety was climbing until Jesus showed up. Peace, he said. And then there was that moment after all the resurrection appearances where Peter and the disciples are standing on the mountain, and then Jesus ascends. And the higher Jesus goes, the anxiety continues to build in Peter until finally Jesus is gone, and an angel 
It's up to you now to carry on the ministry. And boy, does he ever. Peter, who had been anxious, is somehow, by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, standing right in the center of Jerusalem, the last place you'd want to be as a Christian. And there he was, preaching his heart out, and 3,000 members came to know Jesus because of Peter and his courage. And yet, did it mean that his anxiety was cured? I don't know. But I know, like all of us, we all experience anxiety from time to time. Sometimes more often than not, depending on the season in our lives. But what I love about Peter is he never tried to be somebody he wasn't. He would rush in. He would be the first one to raise his hand and speak. He would be climbing out of the boat on the water before anyone even imagined doing such a thing. And Jesus, just as he loved the disciples, loved Peter. Those amazing days when Peter got to walk along beside him. And what we know about Peter is that he tells the truth. He tells it like it is. He tells it to me and to you today as we try to figure out how to have hope and anxiety. And he actually answers the question for us. He says, cast all your anxiety on Jesus because he cares for you and he will restore you. He will make you strong, firm, steadfast. He did what I learned in youth group long ago, called the frog. Anybody heard of the acronym, the frog? Let's try it. F stands for fully. R stands for rely. O stands for on. And G stands for God. Fully rely on God. Over the past year and a half, our world has experienced uncertainty and confusion as we have been forced to adjust to a new normal that is anything but normal. And in those unprecedented times that we are in, COVID, the pandemic, all this division, we have had to try to adjust to a new normal, and it seemed like every time the COVID rules changed, we had to readjust again and again and again. So it's no surprise that fear and anxiety has soared up the chart. People are all over the internet trying to figure out what anxiety is and how to get rid of it, how to calm it down. And so I also, Decided to go back into those old psychology books from years ago. I have a degree in clinical psychology, and this time I thought I'd better do some homework. And I looked up a doctor by the name of Stephen Gredovich, and he was the only doctor around about a year ago that was not just talking about anxiety, he was talking about faith and anxiety. And along those lines, I thought I would try to answer some questions about anxiety. So first of all, what causes it? And how is anxiety different from fear? So fear describes our emotional response to an about-to-happen threat, whether it's real or it's perceived. People typically have, when they're afraid, they experience that fight 
or flight response, right? They're going to fight through it and duke it out with whatever it is they're afraid of, or they're going to run and try to escape. That can be physical, it can be mental, it can be emotional. I remember my second year in ministry, I was on a mission trip, much like Kate and the crew was on this past week, and it was the first night and I was pledging my life to those kids in senior high. There's nothing I won't do for you. And then the next morning I found out that there was a bear in the area of the camp. Kelly afraid of bears. And it was late at night, and there were three of us standing around, me and three kids, and all of a sudden, it sounded like a bear. And did Kelly throw those three teenagers out of harm's way? She ran behind the building and said, come on, come on. Yes. Kelly and Bears. Procedure otherwise. <laughs> Anxiety. So what's the difference? Anticipation of future threats. And you can experience those very physically. People can have muscle tension. They can go into a panic attack. You can get these behaviors like all of a sudden, and you almost can't help it. You're hypervigilant. You're excessively cautious. You're avoiding everything that's serious. So an example is an anxious person would drive 10 hours to Chicago to avoid the need to fly. A fearful person would actually get on the plane as it pulls away from the jetway. They have such a panic attack that the, that the pilot has to turn around and get the plane back to the taxi. That's the difference. So is anxiety always due to a lack of faith in God. Well, first of all, I got a lot of trouble with that word, always. It's almost like God's getting a bad rap. It's a little presumptuous as well. So the short answer is, is anxiety due to somehow our lack of faith in God? No. One of the tragedies of the Christian church is the false belief that it actually was true. And that through the ages, even the current age, clergy, priests, ministers, even church members have caused considerable harm when someone has come into the church to find a place of belonging and acceptance, and yet somehow they're found lacking. Somehow their anxiety is not welcome. Now, is anxiety a punishment from God? Is any mental illness a punishment from God? Absolutely not. How can I say that with such confidence? Because of Jesus. John shares this story with Jesus and the disciples, and they're coming through a town, and up in the distance, they can see that there's a man, and he's been blind since birth. And the disciples, before they even get to the guy, they look at Jesus and they go, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it him? Or was it his parents? Automatically, they assume the sin. They assume that this man has done something, that God has punished this man. And Jesus responds, and it couldn't be clearer, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed through him. So Jesus confronted that false assumption he confronted the false assumption that somebody who 
felt broken, in need of healing, in need of acceptance and belonging, was somehow meant to stay there as Jesus healed him and accepted him and welcomed him into the family of God. Most likely the first time in his life that he ever felt loved and accepted. So isn't it interesting that since the days of Jesus, we have seen our judgment produce a negative stigma of the church that is still hard to overcome, no matter how accepting we are today. There's this fear out there, even by people who've never walked into a church, an assumption that is false, that if you walk in, you will not be welcomed, that if you walk in, you won't be somehow Christian enough. I always love it when someone says to me, well, I don't know. I've done a lot of stuff. I don't think I, I, I don't think I should come to church. I'm a pretty big sinner. You know what my response is? Awesome! So are all of us. Come on in. That's exactly why we need God. So anxiety comes from three things. Byproducts of our own genetics. Okay, now don't go calling your mom and dad and your grandparents after service is over. Our thought patterns, kind of they shape how we see the world, how we think, and our coping strategies that we learned from significant people growing up, parents, maybe grandparents, maybe those crazy youth directors or Sunday school teachers, whatever adults that have a prominent place in our life, we watch them respond to anxiety. Now remember, anxiety, it isn't always a bad thing either. Some anxiety is necessary and helpful. So anxiety can actually motivate you to reach that deadline at work or to take that driver's ed class, study to pass the road test. However, anxiety does become problematic when it negatively affects the relationships in your life. And not just the relationships with people, but your relationship to work and to school, the activities that you normally get joy from, you don't anymore. The people that you love to see and socialize with, suddenly you're turning down invitations. So when people we love are struggling from anxiety, it's tempting to kind of be like Job and his friends in the Old Testament to offer some advice. I mean, we have had our experiences with anxiety, but what are some healthy ways that Christians can help those who experience anxiety? Well, at the end of Job's story in chapter 42, after we get through all of Job, and Job has been so faithful to God no matter what has happened, and remember, he loses everything all along the way, the friends who have been true friends, Suddenly, we're not the friends who were encouraging him. They were the friends that were saying, oh man, this is all God's fault. How could God do this to you? So by the end, Job remains faithful, and God turns around to those three friends and isn't all that happy. Right? So here's a lesson for us. God shoots up a flare over our heads here, warning us that we need to be very careful when we make presumptions about someone's spiritual condition, about their faith life. It can have some serious consequences. I mean, imagine how hard it would be for someone who suffers from social anxiety 
yet they want to be a part of church. How do they navigate that? Do they perhaps come in after the service starts, leave before it ends? They find ways to manage that. And so that they can be a part of the worshiping community when so often we just kind of walk in the door and say hi to everybody and have a seat. So here at RGPC, we work hard at hospitality. We have greeters and ushers and a welcome center. Even on our bus, we share hospitality. We offer to commit ourselves to inclusion. We have an inclusivity statement welcoming all. We seek to be a church that is inclusive of all people. Since 2015, we have also developed this program called Stephen Ministry. And those amazing volunteers that come forward in the life of our church and decide to answer God's call to go through 50 hours of training, commit to a minimum of three years, and two Sundays a month spend two hours in supervision and continued education while they meet with their care receiver, someone who is in need, once a week. The dedication of all those Stephen ministers because we believe that we need to make ourselves available to anyone in need, to walk alongside, just as Jesus walked alongside the people that he went out to preach and to teach and to save. So how amazing it is that we dedicate ourselves to be helpful, to take on those tough questions like regarding mental illness, to make sure that people have help as they interact, that they have help when they encounter situations that are hard for them to manage and that we encourage each other all the time. So many Christians are well-versed in scripture and know what the Bible says about anxiety, but they still experience it, which often leads to guilt on top of that anxiety. So how can we stop that vicious cycle where we become really hard on ourselves? So Dr. Stephen that I mentioned earlier, he responds that Christians with anxiety are prone to misinterpret God's words and intentions the same way they would with a parent, a boss, or a partner. Because they're anxious about where they stand in their faith, they often seek out biblical passages that address anxiety and view themselves in a far more negative light than any other Christians might. So, sometimes we have a tendency to be way harder on ourselves than we are to others. Sometimes, I would say more often than not, we can extend lots of grace to other people, but we sure have a hard time extending it to ourselves. And we have to realize that anxiety is troubling, but it is treatable, that we're all in this together as a church. Whether it's a small, slow build of anxiety thoughts over time, whether it's a sudden event that causes panic, whether everyone faces moments of anxiety, however it comes, yet we don't all experience anxiety the same. So you may be struggling with invading thoughts of worry. 
Maybe they distract you from everyday activities. You may be experiencing sudden and rapid breathing at times. You may be finding it difficult to reason, to get out of bed. No matter the feelings of anxiety that come, God provides a way. You are not alone. We are to cast all our anxieties on Jesus because he cares for us. And how do we learn the caring of Jesus? We learn by being in this community as we care for one another. That's where we find restoration in Jesus' promise to us to always be with us. And remember, we often don't grow when things are going great. We often grow when there are challenges. So we often hear that anxiety comes from fear of things that never come to fruition. However, in the case of COVID-19, things ended up being much worse than initially anticipated. And as rare as these situations are, when things like that hit, how can we avoid letting anxiety rear its ugly head? So an immediate strategy that actually a lot of people did, because you all shared it with me, is after a while you could not listen to one more newscast. It was so much, and it was so much negativity. So many of you shared at one point, you just had to turn off the television. You needed to detox, was the word that I heard you saying. Just give it a rest, because it was starting to just be too much. It was starting to affect your view of the world. You know, if someone who struggles to let go of bothersome thoughts and avoidance triggers. We all have triggers that can hit us, and that, that tool that it does is it can put us into motion, right? We can have a trigger that is negative. We often see that with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, someone comes back that was downrange and saw action, and they come back, and a loud noise happens, and they jump. Sometimes triggers, though, we can't see at all that they're inside and we try to hide those triggers. Many of you shared with me that once your anxiety level reached a place where it began to negatively influence your lives and relationships, you then had to do more than shut off the television for a while. You had to find other ways to cope. You know, here's some other strategies when anxiety is high. Step outside. Go for a walk. It seems like the world stepped outside during COVID. If you can't walk, put a chair on your porch and sit a while under the sun. Say a prayer. Not one that you have to write or really focus on. Just a prayer from the heart. Because Jesus just wants to hear you talk. And when you can't feel like you can pray, you can't find the words, call one of us up. We'll pray for you. Read the Bible. Ask God to speak to you through scripture. Spend time with a pet. If not your own, seek out a family member or a friend that has a pet. Or visit one in a shelter. It was amazing to me when my daughter had cancer and we spent a lot of time from age one to two on that floor. There was a special dog that had a special name and a special bandana and all the kids got it. And when that dog came into the room, these kids found joy. Never underestimate the power of animals.
And then keep loving the simple things. If you like to fish, keep fishing. If you like picnics and bonfires with s'mores, if you like to go on a road trip, if you like to tell corny jokes and laugh a lot, do that. If you love to get into a good book, if you want to just listen to music, if you want to hear a lecture, if you want to write a letter to someone, and then be grateful. Practice kindness, because it's an attitude shaper. I like Paul's suggestion, too, in Philippians, that we should be filling our minds with whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent, praiseworthy, reflecting upon those things. Other positive strategies include redirecting your thoughts by serving and caring for others. There is nothing better than when you're preoccupied with worry or with stress that you take some time out to help someone in need. It has a way of filling up your cup. Living out our faith through difficult times puts the gospel on display. It serves also as a distraction to you from any anxiety. And never be afraid to go to a counselor or a therapist or a doctor. Never be afraid. So how can we let God redeem our anxiety for God's purpose? I've encountered many faithful Christians who are incredibly faithful to God, like Peter, for example. And they make such good impact in their lives. They're men and women of God, but they too have real struggles. And it's because they struggle that they're so incredible a witness. When I'm asked why God allows them to experience, despite so much prayer, any adversity that they have, I don't have an answer, but this is what I do know. I know that God can use anxiety and hardship and illness to draw us closer to God. And I know that God is always present. And I know that God doesn't haphazardly assign horrible things to people because God loves us. God loves us so much he gave us the Son. God's love for us is unstoppable and unwavering. It is possible that the works of God can be on display in us when we demonstrate that we still have faith like Job. No matter what the crowd is saying, no matter what the media has on, God can use people with first-hand experience to comfort and to minister to those who are similarly affected. There is no greater therapist to someone who suffers from addiction than a therapist who has been through addiction. You know, the end result of Paul's suffering in Philippians was that he said he was better prepared to encourage others and experiencing their own hardships. So might God be preparing us now to care for others down the road? And no matter the feelings of anxiety that come, God provides a way of escape. You're not alone. And remember Peter, who said those amazing words to us about restoration? Do you know who he was saying that to? Here he's brand new, right? Right out the gate. And he's telling that to the elders. The ones who are wise, who are supposed to know all the answers. And he says that because he was an eyewitness to Jesus, 
He's learned to be a shepherd like Jesus. He talks about the humbleness of being a shepherd to God's flock. That he's called to look after that flock, not call attention to himself. To serve the flock, not lord over them. To follow his lead when tending to people the world's lead by bosses who sometimes nay or beat workers, threaten, punish them, annoy them, micromanage them. And it didn't work. It didn't work then, and it doesn't work now. The call to be a true shepherd is to be true strength, a bond forged between the good shepherd and the sheep. It means that all of us who shepherd in his name, that we set out to the pasture with the sheep, and we go where the sheep are. Of course, it frequently doesn't seem as easy as that, right? The shepherd's task always remains challenging. Perhaps that's why Peter finishes his letter with those remarkable words of invitation to cast all our cares on God. You know, in Greek, the original language of the New Testament, to throw our cares on God is a strong verb. So essentially, Peter is saying that where our hope lies in Jesus, and we are to literally take all our burdens and our cares and throw them upon the shoulders of Jesus as we picture him with a lamb around his neck. And we pick up everything that is bothering us, everything that is weighing us down, everything that is making us anxious, and we fling them on Jesus' back. And we know that will carry them, and he is delighted to carry them. Why? Because he loves you. Jesus will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Make it so, Lord. Make it so. Amen.